good morning. How is everybody? Doing good? Good, good. Uh, well, glad to have you here this morning. Um, as always, a little jittery being up here, uh, but uh, in Christ's strength, uh, we'll, we'll, sh- we'll share the message together and read God's Word together and, uh, and see where God is leading us today in, um, in, in the book of Acts. Uh, like Chris said, we will be in the book of Acts. Uh, we'll be in um, chapter 19. Um, we're going to be studying 21 through 41. Um, I encourage you to turn there. Um, that way you guys can see for yourself what God's Word says. Um, if you guys do not have a Bible, hopefully there's one in front of you and um, underneath the chairs. But uh, just strongly encourage you to, to open up to it, and that way we can just read together God's Word and see what, uh, what, what is said. Again, it's in Acts chapter 19, verses 21 through 41. Um, while you guys are turning there, um, this is a book written by uh, Luke. Um, he also wrote the, um, the book of Luke, uh, the gospel, um, one of the gospels, Luke. Uh, he's writing to his friend, uh, Theopolis. If I, maybe I botched that one a little bit. But uh, he's, he's writing about uh, the, this new, um, like Jesus is the church, the way. Um, Jesus uh, being proclaimed um, and mostly following Paul as Paul's going out and um, spreading the gospel. And so these are the accounts of that, and uh, we'll be studying what's going on. Um, if everyone's there, we're going to start here. Acts nineteen twenty one. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Aristus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver strines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed of her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worship." When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Osiarches, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, 
Who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in a regular assembly, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. This is God's word. Um, I'd like to start off in prayer with this. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the very gift of it, Father, that um, you made yourself known through it, Father. I pray, Lord, that um, our hearts are overcome with your word today, Father, that we see the truth in it, that the truth um, is transforming in our lives, and our lives would become more settled because of you, Father, and that your kingdom would be advanced, that there would just be this freedom in you, Christ, that is contagious throughout, Father. And thank you, Lord, for, for just this congregation, this, this way, Father, that uh, you have given us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So we start off in um, verse 21, and right off the bat, it, it, it says, Now after these events... So to kind of get into the rest of this um, chapter, we kind of have to go back a little bit. We got to uh, bust in on Chris's sermon a little bit of last week. Um, we've got to reread some things to make us to see where we're at today and, and put things into context of what's going on. Um, if we just turn back a few verses, we're in 1911, um, Acts 1911, and we're going to read 11 through 20 to kind of give some, some backdrop so we can see what, what Luke is writing when he says, now, after these events. So it says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the ha that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So these are the events that, uh, that Luke is referencing here. We have here some extraordinary miracles that had happened. Um, 
to the point that people were just taking um, like the handkerchiefs of what, what Paul had, aprons, anything that Paul touched. They were taking these things and they were taking them to their sick and, and then it was healing them. I mean, that's the strength of Christ that, that, that Paul had, that not only was, was Paul going around and making healings, just the things that Paul used was, was healing people. You had to have this great joy, this great rejoicing over people possibly on their deathbed, families distraught, families upset that um, their loved ones um, may not make it. And all of a sudden you have this, uh, this Paul come and do these miracles that, um, in Jesus Christ that, that's healing these people. We also have in the same, the same uh, chapter these, uh, these men, these uh, seven men of Sceva, and they look at this, and they're like, wow, look at that. And then they go about it, not because they want to know who Christ is, but they go about it and because they want, let's say, that, that power, that power to be able to heal. And they try the same thing using Jesus' name, basically in vain, with not wanting any relationship with him whatsoever. And we see the, what happened with that. We see that this demon is like, uh, you know, Jesus I, I know, Paul I've heard of, but who are you? Um, that, that tells me right there, these guys had no, no desire to have a relationship with Jesus. They, they knew of him, but that's about it. They, they didn't really care to know who Jesus was. Um, we see the result of that. Um, we see the result of the healings. We see the result of, of this demon-possessed man coming out and whooping some butt on some people that claimed to know who Jesus was. And the town of Ephesus is um, it's like transformed. Like there's people coming up, and if they practice magic arts, whatever they're doing, they were bringing all these books, all these, these resources that they had, and they burned them. And it sounds like it was quite the large amount of books. Um, 50,000 pieces of silver. Uh, quite a large amount. So you can see the city was being transformed. There were things that were changing. This way was, was being proclaimed. The gospel was being made known, and people's lives were being transformed. It, it is just a, a, an exciting time, you see, um, right before all this stuff that happens in, in verses 21 and later. Um, moving on just real quickly on, quickly on 21 and 22. We, speak, we see a spirit-led roadmap, so to speak, on where Paul is being called to minister to. Um, it talks about that he will be going into, uh, that he he's, has the spirits leading him to go to Macedonia, to Achaia, to Jerusalem, and Rome. And, and we, we see that that's uh, Paul um, being the missionary fellow he is, being called to move. But before that, it seems like he's being called to stay here a little bit longer in Ephesus. And we come to the next uh, the next few verses here, and some things change. We start here in 23, and I'd like to read 23 through 27 again. It goes, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of, silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades, and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, 
saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. So we see here in these verses, we can see that definitely the way is growing. Um, the gospel is, a, is on a move. Um, uh, this Demetrius feller says something that um, you see that it's not only in Ephesus that this is growing, but in almost all of Asia, Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people. That's awesome news. That's awesome the, go- awesome the gospel is spreading. But we see, we see a disturbance coming up. We see a man named Demetrius. We see a man, actually, what I'm seeing here is a man in fear. A man that is putting his trust in the world. Putting his trust in, in wealth from man-made objects. Um, and, 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 and you see that this fear causes him to start this disturbance. I believe that Demetrius heard the gospel. He heard about the way, and he chose to deny it. He chose to throw it away to the wayside, saying it was false, it was garbage. And you can see what he did choose. He chose, he, he chose something that is not life. And, and you can see the disturbance in that. You can see that this, like he has no freedom. He has no life. He worries, he stresses, and he brings others with him into it. It makes me feel for Demetrius. It makes me feel for others that don't know Christ. That there's a different way. There's the truth. The truth that tomorrow is not everything that us stressing and worrying about the what-ifs, about possibly our wealth or our jobs or our health, these different things, like it doesn't have to be that way. We have more to hope in. We have the hope of Christ. We know that tomorrow will be there in Christ. We don't have to put our hope in this world that if we have our, our, our jobs or our health, Like, those are such fake and false gods that are here today and gone tomorrow. I wish that Demetrius could see that we are made in God's image, in God's likeness, that we're not just just here today and gone tomorrow. We're designed to be here for eternity. We're designed to be with him forever. There's a strong passage in the very first book of Genesis that talks about this, that talks about our likeness and our being um, made in the image of Christ and that we're made to be with him eternally. It, it always makes me go after, like, that we are different creatures than anything else out there. In Genesis 1, 26, 
The first sentence of, of 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. It goes on to say in 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Man, we are, we are so different than uh, like, like the birds of the air, the animals that, that are on this earth. Like, like we're created in the Almighty. We, we get to see who God is. Truly get to see who he is. In that, we also get to see who he is not. Namely, the sin that we choose sometimes over him. We, we get to see both sides of it. But in by seeing that, we get to see God even more clearly. We get to see his love for us even more clearly. We have a choice then on this, as Demetrius did. We have a choice to, to choose Jesus, the creator of life, or actually to choose no life at all. If we choose anything but Jesus, there's no such thing as life. Like, God built it. We, we don't have life when we choose anything but Christ. And you can see that with Demetrius. He's putting his faith, his trust into moral, into his job, into his wealth. And, and again, that, that's here today, gone tomorrow. I just want to point out that that is not all there is. There is so much more, and we all have that yearning in our heart for that. I urge you, church, not to put your trust in tomorrow, into the things of the world. Trust in the things that are forever. That comes to some things that I thought about as fellow believers. If we have this trust in Christ... If we, if we shouldn't be fearful about tomorrow, if, if we're walking with Christ and we know he's got us, he knows, we know he has our best interest in mind, why, why would we stress about dumb things, certain things that we all stress about? We all get tangled up in the world. We all get tangled up in, in the chaos of our lives. It come to me, why do we get sidetracked? Why do we worry? Why do we stress? Why do we act like Demetrius? Where is the freedom that we preach to others, but we don't live? I ask you to reflect on that a little bit. These worries that come across, these um, possibly stresses we deal with from from some bad news from a doctor to our jobs maybe not uh, being around to, good grief, I mean, <laughs> sounds petty when you're up here. Uh, the, the fight at, at sometimes uh, of, of in the past of hearing like, well, how come I don't have overtime when he's getting overtime? Those little petty things that just go on in our lives. Like, why do we even go there when that, that doesn't even matter? The freedom in Christ knowing that he's got us no matter what, whether our jobs are there to, or not, whether our health is there or not. We have tomorrow. We have tomorrow in him. Again, think about that, church. If we have Christ and we walk with him, we should not worry. We should not stress. There's a verse that always comes up. Well, more than a verse, a couple verses. 
I think you guys have all read it, but I think it needs to be read again. Um, and it's in Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34. And, it, and it's Jesus and, um, talking about, do not be anxious, do not worry. It goes, therefore, out of Scripture here, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, more, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so closes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will, all, will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Couldn't have said it better. I mean, God's word is so clear on that. How he provides... the lilies of the field and how they're dressed in all their splendor. Demetrius stressing about what is he going to, how is he going to provide for a family that he possibly has, or maybe it's just for himself. We, we don't need to be stressing about these things. We have responsibilities, no doubt. But when those responsibilities come over the way Christ is, is guiding us and wanting us to live and stressing us out and causing us toil, it's, it's not well, church. It, it brings us down. It kills us. We weren't made to be living like that. We were made to be walking with Christ in confidence that he's got us and that he loves us. So moving on in this uh, next part, something that struck me as... some more truth. We just got done with people's lives being transformed uh, People being healed, a great commotion had to be going on. We, we, we talked about this a minute ago of, of possibly, um, you know, my wife is sick, terribly ill, and, and out of the blue, um, someone comes by and heals my wife that she's been sick for two or three weeks and, and she's getting worse. And someone out of the blue heals her and preaches to me, talks to me about this, um, this Jesus. Goes down the road, I hear of, a cousin up in Salt Lake that's fighting the same thing, and, and again, healed. Like, man, talk about rejoicing. Talk about, like, man, I need to take heed. I need to, what is going on here? Great rejoicing, great happiness. In the very next chapter, we, or the very next couple verses, we see things flipped. We see a great commotion. We've got this great praise, this great awesomeness, this great happiness. And all of a sudden, things are flipped, and we've got, looks like a very selfish man, 
wondering about his money, wondering about his wealth. Wow, how did that happen? How did that change so fast? I'll tell you, church, if, if you don't think that the enemy's not out there, to grab us, to try to confuse us, to try to mess things up. Man, man, you're in a world for hurt. Like, remember, God has us. God protects us. God, God is there for us. But the enemy's there to trip us up. The enemy's always there. You can almost see that the enemy was upset. The enemy's seen this great thing in Ephesus happening. All these people coming, believing the way, um, taking heed to it. And, and you can see Satan coming in and whispering to Demetrius, man, what's going to happen to your wealth? What's going on with all this? How are you going to provide for your family? He's bringing in that worry. He's bringing in that doubt. What are you going to do? Just whispering all this stuff. You see the heart of Satan. He don't care about us. It's all about himself. And he does that when we start listening to him. We, we start doing that. It's all about ourselves. We see Demetrius the same way. It's all about him. He could care less if other people are being healed. People are being um, made alive in Christ. It's like, it's, it's about my tomorrow, not about um, eternity. I bring that up to, to warn against some of the... Um, Sometimes the prosperity gospel that is spread, the, the prosperity gospel is um, give your life to Christ and you'll never go through hard times. Um, life will be good. Um, and if, you, if, if things are going bad, it's because you didn't give enough to God. You, you must have some, some stuff going on in your life that you're not, you're not giving up. Now, don't get me wrong. The sin in our lives does cause chaos. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying that, but If, if you want proof that, like, we have freedom in Christ, and it's the freedom I've been talking to you about, about knowing where our tomorrow's at, knowing that we get to spend eternity with a, a, a being that loves us so deeply. That's the freedom we're talking about. It's not a freedom of you're never going to go through hard times. You're never not going to be persecuted. That's the prosperity gospel that I want to warn against. God is not your genie in a bottle, so to speak. Uh, if, if I do this and, and I do these certain things, he'll reward me for this. Uh, we've got, I was going to say reward, we don't have, our reward would be death. Um, we have got life. Um, we are not owed anything. We are owed death. Um, Jesus came and saved. Um, and he'd done that when we was at our worst he came when we was at our worst. You think of your worst thing that you that you've hold in your heart that bothers you. That's when he came and said, I take the place. <clears throat> so church, you, I, I just bring this up to let you know that you will be persecuted. You will be, um, there will be troubles in your life. Um, Satan's not happy with, with what Christ does in our lives. The great thing about it, what Satan uses for, for what he thinks is gain, Christ uses it for 
his ultimate gain. It grows us. It makes us more mature in Christ. It brings us closer to Christ. It makes us see Christ more clearly. Um, how do we know? I didn't have this one planned, but you know, how do you, how do you know how, how bright something is if we didn't know the darkness that surrounds it? And that's where we can see so clearly Christ. We see this crap, this garbage that goes on, and we get to see Christ, and we get to see his love for us. And it's just so clear on how much he loves us by, by the stuff we see what Satan's doing and his total uh, regard just for himself and what happens when we just have that same regard just for ourselves. Chaos, riots, in the midst of people being healed. Allowed more time with someone I truly love as, as a gift from God. We got chaos in the next paragraph? Um, the light versus darkness thing. Here's another little thing, and we've all, I think we've all heard it. But remember, if you're in a dark, dark place, dark room, and all of a sudden you are struck to light, and you're a candle, and darkness is owned by someone that don't care about you, darkness is owned by someone that has no true power, what does that mean? What do you, you think is going to all of a sudden take place? If you were striked on fire for the Lord, and you've never been striked on fire for the Lord the whole time you've been existed, you've, you've been alive, and all of a sudden your eyes are open and you're starting to pursue Christ, don't be surprised if Satan comes. Don't be surprised if he sets more traps for you. This is another thing to share on that prosperity gospel thing. There, it doesn't matter if you're a, a new believer a believer that's been around for 40 years, 20 years, whatever, like just as light lights up and you're made known and, I, and Satan looks at that and says, man, there's something going on over there. There's a problem there. To that light turning into a torch, to that torch turning into, for lack of better, uh, better words, a campfire, from a campfire into a forest fire. Satan's not happy with the light that you are proclaiming throughout the world. Satan is definitely, you've got his attention. But I tell you, you've got so much more in Christ. Christ has this. Christ is not taken off by this. He's got this. Moving on into 28. Kind of winding down here on, on the heart here of, of what I had to share today, what God showed me this week is... Um, but moving on in 28. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion. The confusion. <laughs> and they rushed together into, into the theater, dragging them, Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Osiarches, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I found it interesting here in this uh, paragraph, the confusion. 
And, and so it says this in 29, so the city was filled with the confusion. I think that's another inclination towards um, Satan being involved in this. Like, our God doesn't confuse us. Our God doesn't walk around and says one thing one day and something the next. He's always the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There is no confusion in Christ. He loves us. He died for us. It's plain. Like those are some things to take to the bank, to, to stand firmly on. None of this confusion that we see in this riot, in this ruckus that's going on. Lastly, 35. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of, of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and, the and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he said these things, he dismissed the assembly. <laughs> God is in control always. As fast as this sparked up, as fast as this riot went on for, two hours chanting the name, we got the town clerk that comes up and says, guys, look at what you're rioting over. You're rioting over... Um, a possible job loss. You don't even know if that's come about. Um, but like, if there's really something here, go to the courts and get it figured out. Like, I just find it amazing like that, that we was all in an uproar and then everything just calms right down. God always has things. And even if he was to allow Paul to go in there and Paul was beaten, possibly killed, is that the end for Paul? No. <laughs> he goes on to be with his, his creator who loves him so much. He goes on to be with his maker. But as you can see here, God is in control. He calmed the, the people. The truth goes on to be proclaimed, and the gospel continues to be spread through Paul. Church, I hope I encourage you today to not put your trust and your faith in, in the world, into what we think all there is is tomorrow. There's so much more. I hope that we see that, that Christ is our everything and that we are made to live for tomorrow and so much more. Christ loves us deeply. He doesn't want us to go through this chaos. He doesn't want us to worry. He doesn't want us to be anxious. He wants us to put our trust in him, to have faith in him, and to know him and to love him. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, just thank you so much, Father, for your, for your non-confusing uh, non ways. You don't bring chaos to our lives, Father. You bring calm. You don't bring hate and discontent, Father. You bring love and so much contentment in you that there's no other need for anything else, Father. You give us our everything, our all. You give us life, Father. 
Without you, there is no life, Father. Without you, all there is is nothing, darkness, blank. Father, we thank you. We thank you for uh, how you built us, how you made us. And just pray, Father, that, that your word stays stuck to us, Father, that we hold fast on the truths of your word, Father. It would cause us to dive more into your word, to see what else, Lord, there is about you and your love. I thank you so much, Jesus, for, for the many, many blessing sacrifices that you did for us, Father. Amen.